Um, oh, yeah, it's the Super Bowl's happening today. How many of you, just take a little survey, how many of you would say by the raised hand, Seattle is going to win it today? Okay. How many of you by the raised hand say Buffalo is going to win it today? <laughs> Wait a minute. That was a dream I had last night. Um, New England. How many of you are New England fans? Not many. Good, good. You're at the right church because we don't like New England here. Um, how many of you say, I just don't care. I like watching the commercials. Okay, actually, there's more of you that are like that. Okay, um, I, there's a storm coming. Uh, Linus is the name of this storm. They're naming storms now. And Linus is the name of the storm that we're supposed to get. We're supposed to get a couple, maybe a foot of snow uh, tomorrow, tonight, tomorrow. There's something wrong with that, Linus, for a storm. They need to change it. I think that instead of, because I think of Linus, I think of someone sucking their thumb and holding onto a blanket. That's not a, a storm. I think they should change the names of storms to really cool, macho actors like Clint Eastwood's coming, right? Or, or Sylvester Stallone, the storm, or even better yet, John Wayne. How about that one? See, Ruth likes John Wayne. I, was, I did that just for Ruth because she loves, ask her, Ruth, do you love John Wayne? See? See? There you go. All right. So they need changes. Well, we are, uh, we are, listen, this is actually the last message in the whole series we're doing in the Old Testament as we've been going through the whole Bible, looking at the major stories of the Bible. We've been going through a book called The Story. And what we're doing is, is what I'm hoping to do, and I'm hoping that you're still, you haven't faded off on me here, but that as we've been going through the Old Testament, this is helped you to get a better understanding of the Old Testament because I know it can be intimidating and for many of us we're like I started and then I just get bogged down and I just go back to read the New Testament again and I'm really praying that as we've been going through the Old Testament this helped you to kind of connect the dots to put the pieces of the puzzle together that God began a great work in Israel that through this body of people God would bring his Messiah Jesus and for us Mostly as Gentiles, we don't really see the importance of that in the Old Testament, but it is so vital. The foundation of our Judeo-Christian belief is founded in the Old Testament and what God was doing through his people. And that biblical prophecy is being fulfilled right before our very eyes. We, we see uh, biblical prophecy fulfilled in the person of Jesus that we know that through the Old Testament and through the prophets and through the word of God, that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, the one that we should worship, the one we should give our lives to. And so what we're going to do is from, this will be our last message in the Old Testament. We're going to jump into the New Testament. Next week, I'm really excited about next week's message too, because it really shows the, the coming of Jesus and, 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 and how significant this was for you and I and the timing that God used to bring the Messiah into the world to rescue his people from sin. So I'm, I'm hoping that you're keeping up with the story. I hope it's been a blessing to you. I've hope, I hope my prayer was that you would grow through this, that you would indeed go back and begin to read through the whole Old Testament as we've been get, as we just put the stories together and how they uh, fit in the overarching story of Jesus Christ. Now, everything in the Old Testament is fulfilled in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so um, we're, we're going to finish with this message on, uh, of Nehemiah and the book of Nehemiah. And I, I love the book of, of, of Nehemiah. Nehemiah takes place really in a very sad part of Israel's history. We know that, that uh, God allowed kings to rule um, Israel for many years. There's 39 kings that actually ruled Israel. For the most part, these kings were evil and did evil in God's sight, led his people astray. And because of that, 
God allowed foreign nations to come in and take over Israel and take them captive. Well, we're in the part where God has allowed his people to return and to rebuild. And so we're in the part of Israel's history where the temple is rebuilt, but the walls are in destruction. And this is what Nehemiah hears as he was led captive to, as he was uh, in Persia. He gets word of this, and this, this breaks his heart. And so Nehemiah's story revolves around a very sad part of Israel's history. This is 445 years before the birth of Christ. Jerusalem lays in ruin from the destruction of Babylon. The, the people were led away in captivity. And uh, so God allows them to come back. They, they actually rebuild the temple, but they're still disarray. There's, there's really a lot of spiritual apathy going on at this time. The city is in turmoil. The gates around Jerusalem were still in ruin. And Nehemiah, living in another country, as a result of the captivity, Nehemiah is in this very prominent position as cupbearer to the king of Persia. And so when Nehemiah hears the word of the state of Jerusalem, he is devastated. And for this reason, Jerusalem symbolized the glory of God among the nations. And Nehemiah knew this. And Nehemiah knew that the spiritual condition of of God's people and God's city should not be this at all. And the destruction basically symbolized the spiritual condition of Israel. For 141 years, it lay in ruin. And, and, and so what begins to happen when you see this condition, when you see things dilapidated, when, when things aren't vibrant, um, what you have is you have spiritual apathy. It's symbolic of their own spiritual lives. And what you have in Jerusalem is a rebuilt temple, but the walls and the gates lay in ruin. After the temple was rebuilt, there was still this spiritual apathy. Spiritually, the people were dead. And so this priest, scribe Ezra, comes to reestablish the spiritual life of Israel. So this would not be an easy task. Now, let me ask you this question. If, if you did not have the word of God to direct your life, where would we be? If we didn't have the ability to understand, to listen to God's word, to read God's word, we are so privileged. There are so many ways that we have access to God's word. We have apps on our phones. We can be anywhere at any time and have access to God's word. There are so many people around our word, around our world that, that does not have that access to God's word or doesn't have the freedom to read God's word like we do. And I'm afraid because of that, we too can become very apathetic because we have 900 Bibles in our homes. We have the apps on our phones. We have all these things, but yet do we read it? Do we consume it? Do we appreciate that we have God's word among us? What would we do if we did not have that? What would we be as a church? We could have a building, but without the word of God leading us, we still would be lost. It would basically just be a social club, wouldn't it? The God of word is, is what ignites us. It's what leads us into God's truth. It's what changes lives. It's what transforms us into the image of God. And so that is where Jerusalem was before Ezra and Nehemiah came. Ezra would bring this spiritual cohesiveness back and, and Nehemiah would rally the people to unify them to do something that literally seemed impossible and they would literally rebuild the walls in 52 days. So he comes in and just rallies the troops. He says, listen guys, wake up. You're sitting here, you're moping, you're complaining because the enemy around you is harassing you and you see the spiritual apathy. And so Nehemiah comes in and says, listen, we can do this. 
if we do it together. Isn't it amazing when we work together in unity, what we can accomplish for the Lord? Isn't it amazing what we can do? Listen, there was a small group of people that wanted to believe that God was going to establish a church in Ontario, New York, that God was going to do something great here, that God was going to do something special in Wayne County, a small group of people just coming together, praying, meeting in a home, and just believe that God was going to do something till eventually it began to grow and grow and grow and grow to what we have here. We have an established bill, an established presence within the town of community, doing something for the Lord, making an impact. It's because people believe that we could do something for God. Just a few people. And, and, and what I love is when you talk to those few people who were there at the beginning, and they understand. I know some of you knew that have walked in. You're like, oh, this is a great building. we got a gym. The, the, the church here of Living Word, met. Every, they met at the Aunt Millie's Attic, or I think that's what it's called, the antique shop there on Ridge Road, uh, what is now the Kung Fu place on the corner of Knickerbocker and Ridge, used to be called the Total U uh, workout facility with mirrors all around it, and they used to worship with mirrors that made the church look twice as big. It's a good idea. I think we may do that here, just put the mirrors up. That's that smart. So people walked in and said, this is a huge church, even though there was 20 people in there. This is huge, right? They met all over, but they believed that God could do something great in our community. And God is still working on the foundation of those who believe that God could do something great with just a few individuals who were praying by the power of the Holy Spirit that God would do something great in Ontario. And I'm just so glad to be part of that and to be continuing what God is doing uh, through his people right here at, at Living Word. And so, so here what, we have to ask ourselves, what is really the big deal about rebuilding the walls? Well, to Nehemiah, it meant that the people were in disarray. And so there was still oppression on the people. Even though the temple was built, the walls and gates were not complete. And so this, is a, this was symbolic of the spiritual condition of Israel. So I, let me explain it this way. You can live in the most beautiful house, yet your home can be in disarray. You can have a beautiful house, a physical, beautiful house, but, but what makes that house wonderful is if we make it a home. It, it's a place we want to go to. It's where a family lives. It's where they're getting together. They're walking in unity. And so it, 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 it may look good on the outside, but it's, it's, it's crumbling on the inside. And what we have here is Nehemiah knew that. He, the, the, the crumbling of people's spiritual lives were just symbolic of everything that was going on around them. And so the walls around Jerusalem symbolized literally God's salvation or his protection now we understand that it's the protection from the enemy it, it it protected them it gave them security from easy attack but 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 god saw this too as is something very spiritual it symbolized the salvation of god it symbolized god's strength and protection it wasn't just a physical problem it really was a spiritual one and, and let me just read you a couple scriptures here on why the gates needed to be restored, why the walls needed to be restored, because, because this was a spiritual issue for the Lord. Isaiah 60, 18, the prophet says, violence shall be no more be heard in your land, devastation, and destruction within your borders. You shall call your what? Walls, salvation, and you shall call your gates praise. You see, when the people would come into Jerusalem, 
Why were they there? Why would they come from the surrounding areas? They would come to worship in the temple. And how would they enter into that place? They would enter in through the gates of Jerusalem. They would enter in the gates with thanksgiving in their hearts and praise in their lips. Let us come into your gates, God, with praise and thanksgiving. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. When they would come, they would become rejoicing because they knew they were coming to God's temple, that they were worshiping with other pilgrims that would come to lift up the Lord. This was important because when they would walk through those walls, they knew they were going to God's presence, that they were going to worship together. This was vital for the Lord. And the destruction of those things represented their spiritual lives and, and, and God's salvation not being, them for, for, not being there for them. Psalms 51.18, the psalmist says, Look with favor on Zion and help her rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Proverbs 25.28 says, A man without self-control is like a city broken and left without what? Without walls. So what the people maybe didn't realize that Nehemiah did thinking spiritually in his mind and saying, literally by rebuilding the walls, we're rebuilding the spiritual lives of the people of God. And so Nehemiah knew this. So he rallies the people together and great things happen. So Nehemiah knew that the walls needed to be rebuilt in order to restore God's people completely. The walls were symbolic of God's salvation. So in all of this was preparation in order for ultimately the Messiah to come and he will come and he will enter that place and he will enter the gates of Jerusalem one day to set up his kingdom. So the gates into Jerusalem symbolize the coming into the Lord's presence. So what does Nehemiah do after the wall is built? And this is what I want to focus on. The focus on rebuilding the wall was a really cool thing and read that for yourself in the book of Nehemiah as you read it yourself. But I want to focus on something different here. I want to focus on the renewal that happened for a time in God's people after the wall was built. It was kind of like a wedding renewal, like when two couples renew their uh, marriage vows they made. This is exactly what Nehemiah does. He rebuilds the walls. They do this incredible thing in 52 days. And so what Nehemiah does, he, 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 he comes together with, with Ezra to lead God's people to dedicate themselves to God. And this is what I want to focus on today. This is what happens after the wall was built. They come together to dedicate themselves to the Lord. And actually, the word of God is read for the first time in a long time. And, and, and look at what happens. So I want to focus here on Nehemiah chapter 8. And, and I'm going to read some passages here. Let's first read verses 1 through 4. If you've got your Bibles, jump in there. You can look up at the screens. But let's see what happens here. It says, as all the people came together, as one in the square, before the water gate, before the water gate. Now, that has nothing to do with Nixon. Okay, that's way before Nixon, okay? For those of you who are old like me, way before that. Um, this is important. Where they read this scripture, they read it at the water gate. The water gate has been rebuilt. They read it in front of there. We're going to see why this is so symbolic. So they told Ezra, the, the teacher of the law to bring out the book in the law of Moses, which the Lord commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon. From daybreak to noon, people are there listening to him just read the word of God. 
That sounds like a good idea. Next, we're going to come at 6 o'clock in the morning, and I'm just going to read the Word of God for six hours straight, okay? I mean, that's basically what's going on. Good, I got one. Woo-hoo-hoo. All right. So, so here they are. They're, they're, they're reading this Word. We, we've got men and women who were there from daybreak to noon, faced the square before the, before the water gate, and the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. And what they did was they read from the book of the law, making it clear and giving the meaning so the people understood what was being read. And so they're reading it. They're, they're making it clear. They're making it understood. A lot of these maybe not understood everything because you have this spiritual apathy. apathy. The word of God was not continually being read. So they're explaining it to them. Drop down a couple verses to verse 9. It says, Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, the teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. When they were hearing God's word, they were convicted. They were weeping. They were crying on how far they morphed away from God's standards. How many of you know when you begin to read the word of God and the truth of God, it pricks your heart to say, whoa, God, how far have I gone from your standards? And God says, let me lead you back into my truth and restore you. That's exactly what's happening here. And so Nehemiah says, listen, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some of those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to the Lord, but do not grieve. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Isn't that amazing? He's saying, listen, listen. Yeah, there's a time for weeping. There's a time for repenting. But right now, just, just enjoy this. Allow God's word to change you. Be joyful in this because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so the Levites calmed all the people. I mean, there was such repentance and weeping going on. He just calmed all the people. He says, be still for this day is holy It's a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink and they sent portions of food to celebrate with great joy because they not listen, listen, listen. This is so good because they now understood the words that have been made known to them. They got it for this time. They're like, we get it. And so all this preparation that went into rebuilding the walls now came to fruition in their own hearts. The symbolic act of building the walls, which represented God's salvation, rebuilding the gates that symbolizes coming into God's presence, his praise, has now come to realization when the word of God was read to them. It was all in preparation for this. Listen, listen, people. Never think that your prayers are not heard from the Lord. Never think that your prayers are not the ground that God uses to prepare the soil of someone's soul. Because many times we think, God, I've been praying and I've been praying and I've been praying for this person and it just seems like it never changes. God says, don't give up. Keep praying, keep praying. Let your prayers be that thing that prepares the soil to break up the hardness of somebody's heart. Because Nehemiah could have just gave up on the people and said, you guys are so apathetic, forget it. But Nehemiah did something about it. He prepared them. He prepared them. He got them together. He prepared them to hear God's word. And then we see this coming to fruition. As God's word is read, they repent before the Lord. There's rejoicing that's going on. Now, what's interesting about this whole situation is where the word of God was read. It was read before the water gate. Because around the wall of Jerusalem were ten gates, each having a very specific purpose. Now, the water gate 
led down to the Gihon Spring, which was located adjacent from the Kindron Valley. The Gihon Spring was the main water source outside of the city walls. And what is so significant about this is that they chose this place to read God's word by the water gate. The water gate, listen to me closely, the water gate is a picture of God's word and what it does in our lives. Because the water and the washing of the word is what cleanses us from our filth. It's what cleanses us from our guilt and our sin. In fact, Paul echoes this, talking about the relationship that Christ has with the church and using a wedding or a marriage illustration in Ephesians chapter 5, 26. He says, to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word. Psalms 119.9 says, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word, allowing it to wash us. This is a visual reminder that the word of God cleanses us, it restores us, and it rebukes us. See, this is what happens when, when Ezra began to read the word of God to the people of the Lord. Ne- Nehemiah 8.6 says this, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen! Amen. And they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. See, what began to happen is, as Ezra begins to read the law, these people begin to sense the presence of the Lord. God begins to do a working in their heart and they say, amen and amen. Now, let me just say this. It's okay to say amen in the church because it's biblical. Okay, now some may say, well, what does amen mean? This is this is really good. So let me just take a little rabbit trail and 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 explain to you what amen means and why I like that we have a responsive congregation to say amen. It's okay to say that. Okay. now let me explain why this is important. I did a little study on this and I thought it was kind of cool. So I'm gonna take a little rabbit trail off Nehemiah and just tell you why this was so cool that they were actually saying amen, because God was doing a deep work in their heart and they responded. There has to be a response. That There has to be something that happens deeper in our hearts. When God is doing something, when your team scores a touchdown, you just stand like this and go, yay. Good job. You're like, yes, right? I'm that way. I get, I get emotional. I love watching... You know, my sons play football, and, they, and my, now my one son's playing basketball, and I'm just the crazy guy on the sideline, you know? And I go, Wesley, do I embarrass you when I'm yelling and going, good job? He goes, no, you're good, Dad. I go, let me know, because I know I got thrown out of the game last week, but let me know. <laughs> I'm just teasing. I go, let me know if I, you know, it's just, you're excited for your team, right? You're rooting for, you just don't sit there and, yay, good, oh yeah, woohoo, right? It's like, so God's doing a great work. So their response is, Amen! Woo! Come on, church. Right? It's exciting because God is doing something deep. Now, I'm, I remember one time I was, I was, pre, I can't remember what missions trip I was on. I was speaking in a church. I had an interpreter and the pastor was in a chair behind me. I, I don't, I think we we're in, maybe in Guatemala or Belize. I can't remember. And I remember the pastor was right behind me, small little pastor. And he was on the edge of his seat. And when, of course, he was amen in the interpreter. So I think the interpreter was preaching a whole different message than what I was preaching. But anyways, he was excited. But through the whole message, 
that the pastor's on the edge of his seat the whole time, just excited about the word of God being spoken and what God was doing in the presence of his church. And he was excited. He was saying, amen, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. It was so, I was pumped. I felt like Billy Graham. I'm telling you, I, I was, that was the best preaching I ever did, even though the interpreter's probably preaching something totally different. I don't know, but it was good stuff. Well, here's what amen means. I, I like R.C. Sproul's definition. He says, what does amen mean? Well, in a nutshell, when we say amen, we are saying it is truth. God's word is truth, and it is true. It's an acknowledgement that God's word has been heard. And so in ancient Israel, it was used to respond to praise and prayer just like we do today. Because the Bible is the truth of God. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. So Jesus' own words confirm this. John 17, 17, he says, sanctify them by the truth. And your word is what? It's truth. And so we are told that through the word of God, that is his truth, we are to say yes and amen. God, this is your truth. Yes and amen. In fact, 2 Corinthians 1.20 says this. Paul says this. For all, listen, this is good. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our, that we utter, we say it out loud, right? It's okay. We utter that. We say it. We speak it out. We utter our amens to God for his glory. So by saying amen, we're just, it's just, listen, I, I don't want to be some calisthenic thing that we do that's just becomes something that's meaningless. But when God is doing something and you hear the truth, what we're saying is we're saying amen to God's truth. We're speaking out because we believe it is his truth. And we're doing it not for my glory, but for God's glory. Glory to God. Amen. That's good. God, you're, you're speaking to my heart. Sometimes when someone's praying, I just keep saying, yes, Lord. Oh, that's good. Yes. Keep praying. Yes, yes, yes. That's good. Because it's speaking to my spirit. It, it, God's talking to me. He, he's zeroing in on my heart. Right? Have you ever heard, the, you know, if I'm listening to a podcast with another pastor, I'm jogging. Usually I listen to it when I jog and I'm listening to it. And I'm just, I'm, sometimes I'm running. I'm just going, amen. Ooh, that's good, Lord. Speak zeroing in right on my heart. Right? Sometimes I'm crying. Sometimes I'm on, on my knee in the middle of the middle of Lily Pond Way, just crying out. No, I'm just teasing. But sometimes it's just like God's zeroing in. He target my, my heart because it's his word. And his word is alive and it's active and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. And it speaks to your spirit like nothing else will. So his promises of God find their yes in him, in him, in him. And so, which is to say that God's word is valid. It's binding. You can put your full trust in it. It's reliable. It will not fail. So when we say amen, it's not only agreeing with what's being said, but it's a willingness to become obedient to God's truth. Am I going to heed this? Am I going to walk in this? And what's even more interesting about this word amen is Jesus's use of the word amen. Now, this is really cool. When I was doing my study, I'm like, I never knew that. You ever study something? You're like, I never knew that. I actually learned something here. Here's what's neat about Jesus' use of the word amen. When Jesus uses the word verily, verily, I say unto you, if you read the King James Version or in other versions, it says, 
truly, truly, I say unto you, or if you lived in the South any, any amount of time, truly, truly, I say unto y'all, okay? When you hear that, when you read that, the Greek translation of verily, verily, or truly, truly, is the word, are you ready? Can you guess? Is the word what? Amen. Now, now here's what's interesting. Jesus doesn't wait for his words to be validated by his disciples. Every word Jesus says is amen. It's the truth. So Jesus doesn't wait for them to say amen to his truth. In fact, he starts out by saying amen, amen, or truly, truly, or verily, verily. When Jesus says amen, he's saying, I've got all the authority right here. My words are true. All authority in heaven and earth have been given to me by my father. When Jesus uses the Hebrew technique of repetition, when he says, truly, truly, this gives significance to what Jesus is about to say. So when you're reading through the scriptures, and you hear Jesus say, truly, truly, or amen and amen, pay close attention, because what is about to be said is something that we need to listen to. Amen? Amen. Okay. So Jesus, he knows that he is full of authority and full power. So he starts what he says by saying, Amen. And when we hear God's word and we hear the truth, we end it by saying, amen. That's true. That's valid. Yes, Lord, you're speaking to my heart. So when Ezra reads God's word, the people say, amen. Amen. And they bow down. They worship with their faces to the ground. Now, how many of you are like me? And I'm very picky about having my car clean. Rochester winters drive me nuts because of the salt and all the stuff. And, you know, it's just you try to keep your car clean. It's just it's 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 crazy. And it takes work to keep it clean. It's it's the water that that washes it, it, it clean. And, and, and what what we're seeing before our very eyes and what happened with Nehemiah is is the reading of the word of God cleansed them and they recognized it. And we have to be diligent in reading God's word because the word speaks to our uncleanliness. And, and, and so what's going on here? They're repenting and weeping as the scriptures are being explained to them. And what we see here with Ezra reading God's word is a twofold purpose of God's word and how it has to be implemented in our life and how important it is. We see two things about the word of God. We see that it rebukes us, but we also see that it comforts us. We see the respine of weeping and repentance. And then we see Nehemiah coming and saying, wait, 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 this is a holy day. Let's rejoice too, because what's going on here is also a good thing. This needs to happen, but this also is a good thing. So let, let's, let's rejoice right now. And, and let, 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 let's make this day holy. Let God do something great in your heart. So we see this duplicity going on. We see repenting, weeping, good, good, good. But God doesn't want to keep us there. Right? There should be a purpose. It has to lead us somewhere that, that there's joy now too that we're responding to God's call in our life. It should produce a godly sorrow that says, God, I messed up. I've strayed. But it, do, and then it, but it thus creates a humility 
and our hearts to reach out to God and to receive his mercy and his grace, which then comforts us. I love the words in 1 John 1, 9, where it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all what? Unrighteousness. So what we have here is on one hand, we need to be admonished. We need to be corrected. But on the other hand, we need to be comforted. Without that, we're just left in our sin with no hope. And on the other hand, we need to be, we need to humble ourselves and we need to be strengthened and, and we need to be edified in our, in, in our faith. Yes, we're to humble ourselves, but God says the humbling should cause you to be edified because I'm going to lift you up now. And that through your humility, my grace will be poured out on you. There's a duplicity here of God's word. Yes, there's a repentance, but yes, there also is God lifting us up. We see God's word as sweet as honey in our mouths. But in our hearts, sometimes the word of God said it produces bitterness, regret, and godly sorrow, which is okay, which is good. But then on the other side, it produces a strength and a joy knowing that our sins have been forgiven. There's a balance there. I can remember when we first flew into Belize on one of our missions, trip, missions trips. The Belize airport, at least it was when we flew there, some years ago, has one landing strip, just one. And you're flying in, all you see is water. And so I, I think I was sitting next to Wayne one year, and we're flying down, and Wayne's like, where's the, where's the airport? <laughs> we're, just, we're basically landing in the middle of a marsh and water, and, and you, just, you, don't see, you don't see the landing, you don't see it. And all of a sudden, you come down, you come down, you come down, and you don't see it. And all of a sudden, we came down, and boom, we landed on the on the tarmac. And, and, and what, you're, what you don't realize, we get there is the same landing strip is the same piece of runway you take off on when you leave. There's just one. That's it. And you, you're praying it's long enough. Or you're going to go right into the ocean, right? See, it, it, it's basically one airstrip and then water. It's, it's, it's a small, narrow runway. But what's interesting about this runway is that the runway leads us to safety when we land. And it gets us to our destination when we take off. You see, for many of us, we think that the word of God may seem so very narrow. And that, and that it's placing all this demands on us. But God says, listen, if you follow it, narrow is the path that leads to what? Eternal life. Wide is the road that many people take, but it leads to destruction. God says, if you take my word and you obey it, it may seem very narrow, but like a runway, you don't want to miss it. See, obedience to the word of God leads to life. And this is how it ties into the upper story. Because Jesus is the word. He came as the truth to take our guilt and shame. And as with the people that were listening to Ezra, we need to weep over our sins and how we've rebelled against God. Yet we can't stay there because the hope comes through the forgiveness that Christ gives us. And that's what Jesus offers us today. You see, Nehemiah can be seen as a type of Christ who left the privileges of his privileged position as the cupbearer of the king to come and restore a relationship that was missing in God's people in Jerusalem. Jesus Christ did the exact same thing for you and I. 
as being the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus came to restore the broken relationship that you and I have with God. It's spoken about in God's word. His word is truth. Every single word is God-inspired, the word of God tells us. It's God-breathed. You can trust it. In the 33 years I've been following Jesus, his word has not let me down. If I let God down, many times. But his word has never let me down. And for some of us here, we need to get a new hunger for God's word. A new ambition to read his word, to allow it to saturate our hearts and lives. Let me just say this. Listen, we can spend a lot of money, a lot of things doing this, that, reading a whole lot of self-help books, whatever it is. And I'm not saying all those things are necessarily bad in themselves. We, there's a lot of things we can spend our money on. There's a lot of things we can do in our lives to try to fix our lives and all the problems that are in our life. Let me just tell you this. If you boil everything down, it's a spiritual thing. It just is. Plain and simple. And the way we restore that is by getting to know our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I believe the more we obey God's word, the more we are healed and that we are restored. That things begin to change in our lives. Does that mean mean we're never going to have difficult circumstances or trials in our lives? No, not at all. But what changes is, now I have the word of God and his promises to stand on. And I can say, God, your word is yes and amen. It's the truth. And I don't know why this circumstance has come to my life. I don't know what, why I'm going through this trial, but I know that your word is true. This is going to be my anchor. My relationship through Jesus Christ is going, to be, is going to be my anchor through this storm. And I need your word to see me through because I know your promises are true. That you will never leave me or forsake me that nothing can separate me. Nothing can separate me from your love, which is found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Those are the promises of God that we can say yes and amen to no matter what we go through in our lives. We need his word to cleanse us, to restore us, to heal us, but to encourage us and to strengthen us each and every day in our lives. And, And as we come before the Lord's table today, This is what we're remembering. Jesus, you provided everything for us that we couldn't provide for ourselves. You did it for us through your death. And we can trust you today. I want to encourage you today. Here's some steps that you can take to encourage yourself in God's word. Listen, we've got God's word for today, devotional things that you can use um, to help you in your walk with the Lord. There's a great Bible app called U- Version that you can download, and they give you Bible plans, reading plans, yearly plans, devotional plans. It's just such a great tool resource. I use it all the time. There's great ways that you can get yourself into the Word of God. Maybe get a partner with you to keep accountable to your Bible reading. You can do that also and just say, hey, keep me accountable to my Bible reading. You know, just get yourself into the word. That's the thing. That's the thing that's going to change your heart and your life. That's the thing that changed. The walls were great. They rebuilt them. But it was here. Once the word of God was preached, it all came to fruition. 
Let's focus on this in the new year. Let's focus on what God wants to do in our heart. Let his word touch your heart. So as we come before the Lord's table today, as we just spend a few minutes just seeking Jesus' face today, what would God say to you today? What's God speaking to your heart? Let him speak to you through his Holy Spirit. Let him challenge you today. If it's repentance, let it be repentance. If, if it's you've got to find joy in God's word and, and you've lost the joy of reading God's word, let the joy of the Lord be your strength today.